getting away. Could be a Jew and believe in God. It doesn't God. matter. She she's tampering in downsided stuff. Yes, yes, she did. Get out! Get out! I want these crew members leaving. Get these ear sets off of me. I've had enough. Gargoyles, psychics, everything's ungodly. Dark Savage! I'm glad you're home. Get the hell out of my house. In Jesus' name, I pray. I've had enough. Oh, I just said. Welcome back to Brown Table Podcast. Where everyone has a seat. But now it is time for brown people to speak. And before we get into Black Madonna, I'll give you one more little anecdote about some 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 white savior. Well, this isn't explicitly white savior, but this is an example of how... Christian spaces are not, and this is obvious because anywhere there's people, interpretations and biases and abuses can can flourish. So the church obviously isn't an exception. Abuse can happen mm-hmm. in a church space, which it can flourish for a long time sometimes because the people in power are protected and whatever mm-hmm. else. So my grandparents, um, and actually when we moved from D.C. to here, we went. We started at the same kind of denomination that we came from. So my mm. parents, my grandparents, I'm gonna try so hard to be respectful of them when I say this. <laughs> but um, my grandparents have our elders at a church that they planted, and it's a Church of Christ. Mm-hmm. So there's this rule with that denomination that you have to be named by the street that you're on. Oh yeah, and yeah, yeah. you have to say Church of Christ. So theirs was Suitland Road Church of Christ. And when we moved here, we went to Genesee Avenue Church of Christ. Mm -hmm. So when my parents planted their church, they knew some of the people that started in Churches of Christ were going to come over and and leave and and come to our church with us. So they kept the Church of Christ thing. But then my parents, their church is Family Fellowship Church of Christ. Mm. My grandparents and the church that we went to, they actually sent us a letter of disassociation to say that we we can't associate with you, one, because you didn't name yourself after the street, and two, because the Church of Christ, the actual phrase Church of Christ on our sign was smaller than the family fellowship. So even just the topography, they were getting into design. So I guess my grandparents are graphic designers now too. And and Jesus must be as well. So things like that, coon shit like that has also bled into our religious practice. And that's why I'm just like, oh, should we be not, should we, at what point with the Christian faith do you stop trying to reform? And are we saying it's just too murky? We need to completely dis- deconstruct and, and start a new faith, a new, a new gathering that is healthy and safe for everyone. You know what I mean? Because yeah. when you try to reform things that are that have little seeds of oppression or seeds of of heresy not heresy because i believe heresy is is good and healthy but um little seeds of things that just aren't good yeah then at what point do you stop trying to reform it and at what point are you do you say you know what we should start from scratch 
No, I agree because that seems a little um, like, why are we talking about topography? Like, why is that the thing that matters when there are um, like people who are being told that God hates them because of who they are? I guess... To this day, my grandparents have never been to one of my parents' services when they actually were the senior pastors because they let women sing on stage and, like, during Sunday services, then it's considered a worship service. And anytime it's a full-on traditional worship service, it has to be reverent. And so during those sessions, women aren't allowed to even be on the stage. They're not allowed to speak. They're not allowed to sing. So even the fact that at my parents' church, women... And they had to do a whole teaching on it so people wouldn't, there wouldn't be an uproar. And instrumental music. Like my, we started in acapella music. When I started to sing at that church, it was acapella. And they had to do a whole teaching on instrumental worship just, then, so, just to justify bringing drums and stuff in. But didn't David have like a harp? Or it was the Old Testament. They're saying the, the, the New Testament, the New Testament church, there's about, no explicit. But the New Testament doesn't talk about homosexuality. Isn't that funny? <laughs> I'm so will, I'm someone will throw confused. Someone will throw at me a clobber passage in Leviticus through Levitical, with the Levitical law, but will say, oh, but New Testament goes now because Jesus didn't come to condemn the law, but he came to fulfill it. Da, 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 da. You know, so there's... That's I really mean, confusing, though, for somebody <laughs> who's trying to learn about God and, like... Have a relationship? Could you imagine being someone who didn't grow up in the church? Say it one time for and, the people in the back. And Absolutely. then having to be like, and that's why like denominations are really weird to me too. Like, I mean, why are there sixty five denominations that you can choose from, and they all and believe which ones which ones look like cults and which ones don't? Completely different things, and I just think that that's not like I personally where I'm at when I understand like. God and I used Christ. to have shame at Cedar. Talk about shame. I used to have shame at Cedarville because I I would physically be upset because I couldn't speak in tongues and I would pray pray pray. Jesus, God, let me speak in tongues. Let me speak in tongues. Let me speak in tongues. And there's Christians out there. I think it's the Kojic Kojic denomination. It's called baptism by fire. Yeah, you have to speak in tongues well, as evidence that you saved. have the Holy Spirit in yeah, you. Yeah, you're actually saved. So there's there's layers and levels. I'm sorry, I cut you off. No, that's okay. I mean... Sydney's over here looking stressed. I just... I Because for me, I guess when I think about the Bible and all of that stuff, I, it, it, I just feel like I see love, like, because that's what I feel like I'm... Su- and not that I feel like that's what I'm supposed to see, but I think that's the point. Like, <laughs> like yeah. the reason why the he yeah. sent his son... To die for our sins is so that we wouldn't have to, and that's loving. And the reason why he let the Israelites wander for 40, whatever, days, 40 years. Years. years, Mm -hmm. For 40 years was because he was like, y'all motherfuckers got to, God doesn't say that, but. (laughs) (laughs) I love. (laughs) Like, y'all have to learn and you're not learning. Because think about all the struggles that we do. Like, and I don't fully think. I don't really know if the Israelites were really wandering for 40 years or if it was just like a story to be like, yeah, you're going to be lost at some point in your life. Like, I really Mm. just think where the Israelites is like, 
everyone's an Israelite. We're just... Yeah, what's allegorical (laughs) in scripture and what's literal? Yeah, so there's a lot of those questions that I have that I feel like I can't ask because um, faith, you're just supposed to believe. Um, But it's not saying that I can't believe that, but I just need somebody to answer my questions. And I think the spaces that I've been in have made that really difficult to ask questions. Um, Yeah and get an answer because i would totally be fine if i asked um you know a devout christian a question and they just said i don't know the answer that's good (laughs) i would be so cool with that like okay so the fact that i'm asking this question because i don't know the answer and then you don't know the answer too okay cool Cool. i can move on i don't have to stress freedom in that yeah and i have to stress about the fact that i don't know the answer to this question um but that's interesting, though, kind of wrapping this back in about how you're talking about the Church of Christ doesn't really allow women to basically participate. It's it's almost as if like, yeah, women, basically you bitches shouldn't exist. That's what it that's what it seems like to me. It's like you can't sing, you can't teach, you can't really be a part of this. Thing. And, and there's the whole movement of people that will take the letter, the epistles of Paul mm-hmm. and make those law, the law in their church as opposed to the words of Jesus. Yeah. Where it's like, focus on the gospel, don't focus on, you know, because even that, because it's like, they'll take a scripture where he told the women to be silent. Mind you, he didn't tell every time he went to a new city, he didn't tell every congregation or every yeah. Christian people group to be for the women to be silent. He told one specific people group. So that should tell you that there was probably an issue in that church specifically. Yeah, not that all women. And I guess that's one thing that I do grapple with. And we with. take that in now. It's like, all women, shut the fuck up. Yeah, and I kind of grapple with the fact that what kind of loving God would teach people to be treat misogynist. other people like shit. Um, yeah, teach I don't, people to be prejudiced. Yeah, literally. I don't. When in James, he literally said, I'm, I don't show favoritism. Yeah, I guess that's what I don't understand. But again, like, I think through this podcast, I'm just like, you know what? I'm, I can have a relationship with God, but I don't really know if I need to have a relationship with some of the Christians out in the world. Like, if that's what you're going to do, if you're going to live your life unkind and prejudiced and bigoted and... <laughs> Without love, and like, exclusive. you can miss me with that bullshit because... Say it for people in the back. I, I just don't... I could not imagine living my life looking for someone to hate. Because that's what I feel like. And I'm not saying that all Christians are like this. Because I do believe there are Christians who are probably think, you know, similar to me. And not that you have to think like me to be right. But it, I there are just so many that have bigger microphones that teach the <laughs> fact that you should distance yourself from X, Y, and Z people because who the fuck knows? I don't know. But... Lord of mercy. So, but talking about women um, and then blackness. So, Christina Cleveland, she was a guest on the Liturgist Shout the hell out. podcast. And she was just like, I want to just be in her pocket so she can just pull me out and say like, hey, these... I just feel like you need to know this right now. Um, So she kind of talked about, she talked about a lot of interesting things. But Christina Cleveland also talked about Black Madonna. And so the Black Madonna, 
Um, I mean, in very small terms is essentially the black, uh, Virgin Mary, the blessed Virgin Mary. Um, and she's depicted all over the world, except for in the United States. Everywhere. Which is nuts. Like, there's statues, like, all throughout France and even in Germany. And she and predates a lot of our iconography, yeah. so there's a lot of merit And that's what fucked me up is that it was even in Germany. And, like, obviously, <laughs> like, I understand that not all Germans are Nazis, but, like, that's saying some shit that these... In a place that's Eurocentric, yeah. the Black Madonna is, isn't hidden. Yeah, there, there's a lot of different studies and research and things done surrounding the Black Madonna, but one of our listeners who is going to re- remain anonymous sent in kind of a op-ed piece on who the Black Madonna is. And so it's super long, so I'm not going to read it all right now, but we will post it to our Instagram yes. and Twitter. So if you want to read the whole thing, it's at Brown Table Pod. <clears throat> so it starts out, who is the Black Madonna? She is always seen depicted as a single mother with her son raising him alone, whether in the past, present, or future, as if it was the mother, son, and Holy Ghost. Could you? I'm sorry. <laughs> I just need to breathe. That that was healing for me. That was. Oof, I'm sorry. Continue. Um, oh my God. I might fuck around and just read the whole thing. What she is today to the black man, his bitch, hoe, side chick, broad, bust down, thought, ratchet, fuck buddy, friends with benefits, fat chick, and she is the dream of some woke brother calling her sister or queen when he wants to raise his kundalini. Or metaphysically harass and assault her, putting her in some Kama Sutra position. <laughs> when? She is beloved when the black man needs to objectify her as a vehicle for his coming and going or dependency when the man has got him locked down. But never for their well-being and becoming a family. It's never when she has time, but when he has time and wants to get something from her. So I will skip. He goes back to um, who? Who is the Black Madonna? I thought it was dependent on the time and was going to speak of Nubians and Kushites in lands afar, but she is my grandmother, mother, sister, aunt, cousin, daughter, friend, stranger, neighbor, and is the bridge between heaven and earth. Nothing exists in this dimension without her, yet she has been left behind. She is in the past, so she is depressed. She is looking toward a future, so she is anxious, and her peace in the moment is slavery because her man won't fight the ignorance of the system that continues to feed off her seeds with no fruit to bear for her family tree and her labor being white wealth in its transhumanism, apartheid, and eugenics. That's the Black Madonna, the image that popped that the Pope worships in Rome as his golden calf and cash cow for his wealth and her enslavement as she has been sucked dry of her milk and honey ever since the colonization of the African continent, mother of civilization, civilization, that is the Black Madonna. And I cannot have an identity without her, so she is me, as (laughs) I am my mother's son, not the son of a bitch. We have the dopest. Fucking listeners, right. Ever. 
That's beautiful. Yeah, and oh there's God. so much more, and I want to just unpack that's it good. briefly because, like, I think we could probably do a whole, a whole just on that's beautiful section of this. But what I really got from this listener was that, especially because though Black Madonna is not prevalent here in the United States, I feel like this what he's saying here is so key is that we feel women, black women have this level of shame that comes with them from the moment they're born. And it's because of these things, because of the identities that are put with us. But think about all of the black women here in the United States that don't know about black Madonna and the fact that Mary was probably black. Like (laughs) she was probably black and that she dealt with these things that we're dealing with today were uncertainty and, um, I mean, Joseph, like, lightweight didn't believe her at first. And slut-shaming, just, yeah. they wouldn't call it that, <laughs> yeah. but it would have yeah. been that in that, and in that context. And having that realization, like, okay, like, if Joseph is not cool with this, I have to take care of this child by myself, and I have a duty to the child and to God to do this. And that's a lot of pressure. That is a lot of pressure, and I think black women feel that a lot of times and are ashamed if they can't fulfill all these things that black men and society all those pressures they put on them but also it's interesting that when we talk about black madonna in terms of like a religious space is how it's left out how that idea that there's this person who existed and then exists in almost every other culture except for here in america for ours and why yeah and why and what does that mean for our, as a black woman, what does that mean for my shame? Because I can't, up until this point, there was no, like, thing in the religion that I could look towards. Because honestly, when I read the Bible and I read about Esther and Ruth and all these other women, I picture them as white women. But why? Whoa. Why do I do that? And, and I think maybe no it shade. was pictured I picture for me. Esther specifically as a vegetable <laughs> because of veggie tail. <laughs> She's right. the only one I picture like, as like a cucumber tells, or something. <laughs> veggie tails is my shit though. No, but um, and I think of all the depictions that we see here in the United States of Ruth and Esther, and but guess who we do see as being brown? Jezebel. I knew you were going there. And so. I think with this listener, like, that's really what this this listener's um, thing, this op-ed, kind of got me thinking about is, like, there's shame in being a black woman at times. And, there, and Mary had to have felt some shame because that was the time. Like, women were just shamed, point blank, period. And, the, and yeah. they were like, yeah, like, you a you're a slut basically, and Joseph had to be like, man, shit, I don't know if I want to marry her anymore. Like, that's real. And and just those things that women, but black women deal with, that are both um, <laughs> full, like shame and Jesus, 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 Lord have mercy, and not being like represented, not being <laughs> represented, not being represented in the Bible because. Because, at least for me, I never ever thought of any woman in the Bible that was mentioned, I never thought of her as being brown. I never thought of any single person in the Bible as being brown. Until I was an adult, same. 
Yeah, until I was like, until I figured out. Because what color were all your fucking where... Bible teachers too? With yeah. the way we grew up. Yeah, exactly. Nobody who taught us about the Bible in an academic setting looked like us. No, and then just like really even thinking about like where Israel is, like, uh, ain't no way <laughs> Jesus had blonde. Like, I've seen a blonde on. Jesus with blue eyes, like. That's just not accurate. And where they consider the Garden of Eden would have been in the Fertile Crescent between the Euphrates and the Tigris, right? River? I, that's what I've heard. Is but that, I, and even yeah, that geographically, like, it's like Barbara Streisand wouldn't have been there either. No. We don't see And so there. I was just like, I don't know. I really like this op-ed. I hope that people um, will read it all. I read most of it, I but I to, want I people to, to comment it. and just like send us your questions, DM us your questions. And but, do you remember, what was the name of the liturgist episode that Christina was featured in? Do you know what the name of it was? Mm, hold on, give me two seconds. Because I think it was entitled like, um, Why is God a Man? Because I've... And even that too, what was really beautiful about that episode, it was that the divine is all encompassing. So, and analogies for the divine are all really beautiful and good. But when we stop and make it everything, then Mm. that's when they become oppressive. Mm. And she was saying even it would probably be healthier in, in this global climate for us to no longer consider the divine male and start saying she because on a global scale, brown women are oppressed. Mm-hmm. And so to have a divine that shares in our suffering and isn't doesn't look like one of the fucking mm-hmm. Rothschild, <laughs> one of yeah. the richest people in the world, <laughs> yeah. one of the oppressors and dominators and, and colonizers... Yeah would be so much more healing for the for people because Jesus was literally speaking to the oppressed. So for us to have a divine that we know can share in our oppression with us, and even yeah. the poem that she read on that liturgist episode about the Black Madonna was so healing. She was yeah. just like, darkness, your skin is dark. Yeah. You, you have sat in the shadows, in the darkness, which is exactly. where I am. You share in my sufferings. You see me and you know me because you are me. Yeah. Like... Woo! It yeah. was. Yeah, I was like, whoa. Yeah, that's, I that's did. Like, I would listen because I listened to this at work, beautiful. and I said, "Well, I gotta pause." But um, so the the name of the episode is God, our Mother. Mm, um, it was, but so, that was an interesting was episode um, because they talked, and I won't. I mean, because I want you guys to read it, or you, everyone, y'all, to listen to it because they talk about the idea of when when people identify God as a man versus Mm. when they identify God as a woman and how um, their relationship with God is a lot different and their relationship with people is a lot different. And it has to do with the fact that some people think of God as a man and they think about following the rules and making sure not to disappoint um, God and making him proud and really concerned about only doing the right thing because that's that's the right thing but when they approximate god to being a woman they think of them as being like loving and kind and things like that but i thought that was interesting thinking about shame and how like trying always to do the right thing because you think god's gonna smite you 
is going to bring you a lot of shame because you're going to mess up because that's just part of being being human. But thinking about all the things that um, shame can breed. And I wrote a couple down. It's shame can breed anger and self-hatred. And you have to think about like if you're especially if you're in a space of like religion and you're constantly in this cycle of I have to make sure I'm pleasing to the Lord and that I'm doing everything exactly right and I can't do that, then of course you're going to get angry. Of course you're going to start self-hating. And then if you don't have a healthy way to deal with that, then you just keep in that cycle. And I felt like personally when you are dealing with a lot of self-anger and self-hate because you can't do something that you feel like you should be doing or you keep doing something that you feel like you shouldn't be doing, that leads to other things like alcoholism and drugs. Self-medicating, yeah. Yeah, because you're trying You want to numb. If if your sober mind is always plagued by shame, then wouldn't you, you would want to numb that to escape. Yeah, because fuck shame. Like, honestly, <laughs> fuck feeling ashamed all the time for everything that you do or might do or have done or could possibly do. Like, that's a lot. And when people ask me, Sydney, that's, I, I give a lot of different, ex, it's funny, and this happens for everyone, when you make a decision, say you break up with somebody mm-hmm. for one specific reason, you hit your breaking point, but for years and years and years after you break up with them, you keep, having aha moments about why you're not with yeah. them. So when people ask you why you break up with that person, you'll have you might have different reasons. Yeah. So after I decide or I realized that I was no longer a Christian. Oh, and I'm gonna get into something else in a second too. Okay. That made me think. Um but when I realized I wasn't a Christian, I also realized that fun and this ooh, this might be a little there might be some heat and tension between us. I don't know. Because I, I I have a problem even with the Jesus narrative which is the heart mm. of christianity mm-hmm. we we talked about and it you made me think of it because we were talking about filthy rags and being yeah being worthless and not being able to give god anything so i don't believe it i personally do not believe in sin and i and i follow mm. this concept i heard somebody say ayala van zandt always says i'm sure she didn't coin it but she says all things are lessons that God would have us learn. Me, all things are lessons that the universe would have us learn. Mm. The bad things I do, the good things I do, you never know what about you, about your community, about your context is going to to breed goodness. Mm. All of it can be of use. The things that you're ashamed of, the things that you love about yourself, everything can be of use. So for me, the concept of sin or wrongdoing mm-hmm. In my in my worldview now, there's no space for this concept of wrongdoing yeah. because everything is of use. And for sin to be at the cornerstone of a religious of a yeah. religious worldview, for me, I can't get with. And even this idea that now I'm gonna say this wrong. I have now that I'm no longer a Christian, I do have a lot of mystic friends. Which is exciting because I used to be scared of mysticism and all of these mm-hmm. different forms. But even that was a lot of things that I was taught. Mm-hmm. So I have a friend who does the most insane research and he's one of the smartest people I know. But he was even saying that Yahweh is one God of many gods that you can find in different ancient texts. And this God is a war... And Yahweh is a war God who mm-hmm. who who requires blood penance, who requires blood as a as um as um as currency 
And so it makes, but then when, <laughs> when I fell back into the Christian tradition, you look at the Old Testament and, and the process of, of, mm-hmm. of murder and, and war and conquest and even how Jesus himself needed to bleed in order for mm-hmm. us to be saved. And then Yahweh, compared to a lot of other gods, is war hungry. So, of course, his son had to die in order for him to be satisfied, which I don't, obviously, mm-hmm. I don't know how much merit, truth, this, this, and that, or whatever yeah. is in that. But that did get my wheels turning because I was like, that is that is Yahweh, though. Yahweh literally, all through the Old Testament, required blood. That's really literally. And so to see God, to see Yahweh as maybe, in my head, to see Yahweh on Mount Olympus, if you want to say that, with a lot of the <laughs> other gods, mm-hmm. and for him, his characteristic being one that's a little more gung-ho for war and a little more gung-ho for bloodshed, for me, made sense to me when I read scripture because there's evidence there's of a lot that. Of bloodshed, and yeah. so now, not to say, because I don't know how much merit's in that, not to say that, that I believe that necessarily. Mm-hmm. It was just a little bit healing because mm-hmm. I've there's so many Christians that are for love like we are yeah. and for goodness and flourishing that it's it was it's always been hard for me to even wrap my mind around hell and why God would even create it why god would even be satisfied in 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 punishment yeah and even an analogy because we say what human relationships mirror divine our relationship with the divine Mm -hmm. right so if i come to you sydney and i say hey i have all these cool little trinkets i love really hard i'll protect you i'll keep us safe Mm -hmm. do you want to be in a relationship with me if you say no all that means is that now you don't have access to all of the resources that I would have given you in the relationship. Mm-hmm. There's no, in human relationships, if someone rejects you, there's no cause for punishment. Yeah. So why is the rejection of God a result of, why is punishment the result? Eternal. Well, and that's something that I that doesn't That definitely... seems imbalanced. Why is, it, why is saying, you know what? No, I just don't really want that for me. I'm going to choose other wise. Why is that? Why is punishment going to be the consequence of that? Yeah, because I actually, this was something that I had asked probably like maybe eight years ago. Um, And I started to kind of look into hell and I would not look into hell like that. But (laughs) but, because I had questions about like, because it makes the relationship harder because it feels like I got to choose God because I don't want to go to hell. And that doesn't make it real, that doesn't make it authentic for me. I have always grappled with the fact, like, I don't want to just have a relationship with you to, to save me from going to hell. Like, I want to. hell is. But hell was not even created for us. Hell was created for Satan. And um, that's what I still, and I remember having this conversation and being like, okay, but hell was not created for us. So, like, but. Why, why are we going to go there? And like, and the little things that make it seem like people make it seem like they get to, they can tell you who <laughs> gets on. to go to hell. Come on. When I don't know, I, I have to do more research into this because like the judgment day does make it seem like we're all just standing in a line in front of God. And he's like, yeah, here's all the stuff you did that was really terrible. And like. I know that you tried to do good, so yeah, you get to go in. And then there's like, you did a lot of good things, but you were sad and you killed yourself, so you don't get to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, 
There's there's been First teaching all, growing up like, that suicide I'm... is all to, is like immediate hell. I've yeah, heard Christians say yeah. that. Yeah, it's like bitch, who t- bitch where? Who told you this? How do you know? How do you because know? like, <laughs> and so I've How been. Do you know? But that has been one big point of my relationship with God is that there have been times where I purposefully don't go to God or have a conversation with God because. I'm afraid, like, am I only doing this Mm. just so I don't go to hell? Or am I only buttering you up to ask you? That shame and and fear in and of itself. Because I think about that, like, with a human, like, if I were to just be like, yeah, Avery, I want to be your friend um, so that I can get into this club. But if that's the only reason why I'm your friend, that's not a friendship. And it's not healthy because that's it's just using you. And I get that God is supposed to be different than humans. But how else are we supposed to learn how to have a relationship with God if we can't practice with humans? And so that's what I mean. Like, I wouldn't do that to you or anyone else. So why would I do that with God? And But that's something that I, we've been so scared into not even thinking about hell and like because hell sounds like a terrible ass place yeah no the fuck i don't want to go to hell but come on it's one of those things where like shit nigga it's survival of the fittest out here how do i know i'm not going to go to hell like and and i've asked that question like how do i know i'm not going to go to hell and people are like oh no you got the you got christ in you you not you good you cool and i'm like but i don't know how do i know and these are the questions that i want to ask so and something as terrifying as hell how could a devout christian even find comfort in knowing they won't go if the fact that something is treacherous and eternal and blistering and sulfur and brimstone as a hell that your god created oh girl you good like for that to even because hell is such a mystical divine punishment that if it were real, I feel like everyone, even if they're not going, should tremble at because it's just so vicious and scary. Yeah, and like, for, girl, you ain't going. You good? You got the blood, but yeah, but 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 like, I need to know for but, sure. But, whoa, that's like the worst horror movie I've ever even and, heard. And I think um, when I was thinking about this actively, you know, years ago, it wasn't just me. That I was thinking like, oh God, I don't want to go to hell. <laughs> it was like, I can't imagine like, I don't want anyone that I know to be in hell. I don't want anyone that I don't, I don't want anyone to be in hell. Yeah. And I don't want somebody who like, say for instance, um, I'm trying to think of a good example. People love, uh, who do people love right now? Will Smith. He's back on Instagram. Oh, yeah. He's giving people life. Um, and he's a good guy. He's mm-hmm. a good man. He's kind. He's done kind things. No, let's switch this up. Oprah. Yes. So Come Oprah, I was obviously, Oprah. That's funny. Oprah is, everyone loves her. She's kind to everyone but Monique. Um, hey. Hello. <laughs> and <laughs> she's done good work. She is, for the most part, we would see, we would say, yeah, she's a great person. And, but I don't know what her religious background is. And she, I, I just don't, I can't really, I'm having trouble with that is saying that somebody that can be, I just, 
I just have a really hard time with that because it just seems like hell was not created for us anyway. I'm going to make a comment on Lucifer too. Yeah. I, I just... It's troubling. I don't know. It it's is because it, it, it actually gives me a lot of anxiety, which is why <laughs> I stopped thinking about this eight years ago. Yeah. It's because Same. everyone, if everyone has a chance of, of possibly being in hell where you're going to burn alive for the rest of eternity, that's a lot. Like, that's a lot. And like, I get, so I get the why most. there are people... Where there are Christians who are like, I gotta save these people. I gotta of save these people. Of course, oppression is possible, and of course, you want to force people into things to escape that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what I'm like. Do we just need to like have a serious because we don't talk about hell? Like Christians don't talk about hell. It's just like, oh yeah, like you'll go to hell, and if you're, um, I've only. This is a really interesting thing, though. I've only ever had heard Christians say specifically that. If you're homosexual, you'll go to hell. But I don't really understand where they got that from and how they would know that or like how anyone can say like, oh, yeah, that person's probably going to hell. Because I can't even say I don't know what that conversation was like with God and Osama bin Laden. I don't know what that conversation is. And I feel, I, I know that people are going to be like, oh my gosh, she thinks she wants Osama Bin Laden to be in heaven. Like, I don't want anybody to be in hell. Like, if there is time for redemption, like if he could have a conversation with God, because that's, he is our redeemer. Like, And if you want to really get into it, a lot of people that wouldn't give grace to someone like Osama Bin Laden are probably, like, super patriots and nationalists. And worship the flag probably more than they would worship. Yeah, and I'm not divine. saying that Heck I'm yeah. a person that's like, yeah, I would be, I would be the one to give grace to Osama bin Laden because it would. But be, if not he, it's then not, who? It, yeah, because that's if not my a, job. There, but here's the thing: if there's a spectrum of you're in and you're out, if not Hitler, if not Osama, then where's the line? Yeah, though? because Is if the you line say, just don't if you can him. clearly say no to people, not finding redemption then that line that little scale you gotta it 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 stops somewhere yeah so who's in who's out if we are having that conversation you know yeah but even lucifer i actually sat down and had coffee with a satanist before oh jesus yeah but here's i I know i couldn't do that i know but here's here's (laughs) the interesting thing about satanism which i can't speak to all satanism but this particular person was telling me that there's they believe there's more to this Lucifer story than we're taught because if Lucifer was the the epitome of beauty and grandeur and a reflection of the divine majesty of God in heaven he the way he explained it to me is that he believes that Lucifer challenged God Yahweh in a way where maybe he was a little aggressive or maybe mm. bloodthirsty or however it was because God lived in community with with celestial beings, right? Mm-hmm. And so I guess maybe he believed Lucifer challenged God in a way that when you're in relationship with someone, you can challenge them and, that, and it's not, and, and God took it as a how dare you instead of a Hey, we're in community. Let's talk. Like maybe I there's mm. a little heat between us because you came for me, but 
you're in community with me. You're a brother, so let's talk. And Lucifer came for God, and God cast him out. So, so Lucifer, in that narrative, represents the wanderer who, not like the prodigal son who left, but like the son who was kicked out. Mm. And from, and there's, and the interesting thing about Satan is Lucifer represents a figure in scripture who never speaks for himself. He's always talked about or Mm. always, so we don't know Lucifer except for what these authors of scripture tell us about Mm -hmm. him. And then even you get into, people can twist shit all the time. Like we talked about that black chick who was Mm -hmm. talking about slavery and being Mm -hmm. thankful for that. So what if there was this oral tradition of fear mongering and and putting a fear spin on Lucifer, but we never actually look at the Lucifer story, which I mean, take that for what you will. But I thought it was interesting that he told me, okay, well, there was this allegorical story about Lucifer and we didn't hear much else after that. So you, we really, and he said to me, you really don't know what happened between God and Lucifer except for that little bit that you were told about what happened before he was cast out. And I was like, well, we don't know about him and we don't know why he was pushed out. Yeah, and I will... uh, What if there was more to the story than that? And that's that's where Satanism, which I don't know if that's where it was born out of, but for him, that's where his religion, I guess, stems from? I I feel like um, there is just a level of fear because we have made Satan like a um, character, Mm -hmm. a caricature. As well. Um, Not only that, but like demons. Because even... Yeah, because I fear all that shit. Like, I go in my everyday life thinking like, oh, you know, I've done... Or something happened to me that must be the devil. And I'm like, it's it's too much to think about. So that's why I... Yeah. Because I can't... I could I can't... Yeah. And we were taught that like... I I don't know if you got this in high school, but I remember people telling us that if you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, then you are susceptible to demon possession. And that's yeah. also, so for me, it's like hell on earth. It's not even just hellfire brimstone teaching, yeah. be with Christ, be with God so you can evade hell, but also be with the Holy Spirit so you can evade demon possession. And, so and the it's way like that we fear-mongering. It's fucking yeah. fear-mongering. And the way we talk about... Um... And I will say... I don't know if I'm demon-possessed. Maybe the fuck I am. Maybe I'm not. I don't... Do you see evidence of demon-possession in me? Because I'm a non-Christian, and I haven't been demon-possessed yet. And that was know. a teaching I was taught in order to stay in the fold. I th- you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, it was fear-mongering. <coughs> I think that there is, like, exorcism demon-possession that we talk about. And then we also talk about people's struggles as being demons, which I think is really confusing. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a lot of, and that's the crazy it's thing about worldview and theology and teachings that you pass on to people. Christians, if you don't get anything else from this talk, you have got to be more careful. Because even in the black mm. church, we say a lot about Satan as if it's not us. Like, if we're doing good, it's God's influence. If we're doing bad, it's not us. The devil made me do it. Yeah. But then you're passing on this concept of demons and the devil. That children hear, and they, Gestalt's theory, you hear little tidbits that the adults are talking about, and then you fill in the holes, and that becomes a part of your worldview, Mm -hmm. which 
Maybe the adults didn't even know what the fuck they were talking about, but you're passing that on, and mm-hmm. children are always listening. So it's like... Because we're not supposed to be, f- like... I, it's just causing people to live in fear and instead of... Fullness. Yeah, and that, what do you do when you're afraid? You do stupid shit. You you Because you're trying to protect yourself because you're afraid. And I definitely... Am really susceptible to that, and I'm. But all those questions that I have about um, eternal life and things mm. are really hard questions to ask because I the response I've gotten is like it just is what it is. Like you're you're either yeah. going to be in gold and milk and honey, or you're gonna burn for the rest of your life, and that's it. And you just have to be the best Christian you can be, and you have to be like Christ to do that. And I just, I, I what I'm gonna do is I'm going to, for me personally, and so now podcast is um, holding me accountable. Is I'm just gonna continue to search. I have that's to good. create my own. Uh, relationship with God and I have to continue to be respectful so there are things that you said during this that I don't agree with and that's, that's fine right. yeah. but we were still able to have a conversation and it's, I know there's possible, things that, <laughs> that I said that you're that you don't necessarily agree with and that's fine and I think that it's okay to do is have conversations and that's and that's what I want before we get into like the funny stuff is I read on psychology today about shame and mm. like how do we kind of get rid of shame and the thing like I read a lot of different articles but the main thing was own it. Own the fact mm, that you feel ashamed good. about something Oof. and then the second thing was confess it. So <laughs> because guess what happens if if I say like I am ashamed because I go to work every day and I fart a ton. Mm, Something simple like that. <laughs> like, the fart and the shame. Yeah. But I just told you about it and you could say exactly what you just said. Let it out. Or you or could. Or me too. Yes. And guess what that does? I'm not ashamed anymore because somebody else. You found community in it. Yeah. yeah, and guess what? Because shame is about connection. Yeah. And if I if I own it and I confess my shame to someone else i'm connected so if you have shame in your life find people that are healthy and for you first of all confess it to someone that you already trust yes exactly don't go and share your shame with someone who's been waiting Mm. you know what i mean who's been waiting for you to share your shame so that they can tell you yeah, yeah tell you about yourself you need to just make sure that you have people in your life that will um, nurture you and that you can nurture back because that's one thing that I've learned um, in the last probably year and a half is the people that I've had in and out of my life have told me um, I should be ashamed and have told me that I'm worthless and then I found out I understood what was happening and I said, I can't do that anymore. So I don't have any friends right now. <laughs> like, I don't have a ton of friends because Tell- because you... Sydney. Okay. And I don't want to, I'm not trying to talk about people and like the people who are my friends know that they are my friends. But that's real. But there are certain things that you cannot let into your heart and into your being because 
that will breed shame. And then you'll be in this cycle where the the friends, the people around you are telling you you should be ashamed. And then you're trying because you want to confess. You want to own the shame naturally. And you confess to those people. And who shame told, is familiar. So yeah. sometimes you'll run back to... Yeah. wellsprings of shame whether they be people yeah. or the church that you grew up in because it's familiar yeah and then what you do then is is you admit the shame to the people who made you feel shame in the first place and then guess what you just feel more shame, shame. Yeah. you're not you're not getting out of that cycle and for me that caused a lot of depression and feelings of worthlessness and hopelessness mm. and i will say i am getting better yeah but it's there's still not this level of like okay so i had to and i've had conversations with some of these people about things that they've done that make me feel worthless really and then realizing now that they're not here in my life is like oh shit okay so that's another level mm. of oh you know what i mean like yes so we Absolutely. had the conversation and it's like the realization is, it's not a shame realization, but it is a... Um, abandonment? Yeah, it does feel a little bit like abandonment. So... That's good. I, I'm going to say one... That's so good. One more thing about, like, owning your shame. And, and after that, I'll do a pro tip and we can move on. Yeah. Um, owning your shame and confessing it. And this is why it's in um, Bell Hook's book, All About Love, which I've referenced before. Um, it's, if you have the book, it's on page 39 at the bottom. It's in the chapter called Honesty, Be True to Love. And there's a whole paragraph at the end. She says, lies may make people feel better, but they do not help them to know love. Mm. And I think part of shame is lying to other people because you're holding on to something. You're holding on to something that's dishonorable and it's a lie. It's Go not dishonorable. Step on all my toes, girl. <laughs> step on that. It's it's not dishonorable if if you can can share that and it's not and don't lie to somebody else when they share your their shame. Like be real, be honest with them, but also be kind and be compassionate and be loving and be encouraging. That's good. Cause I, I'm I'm in my head I'm 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 experiencing these like parallels or these analogies and for me even that poem that our deepest fear is not that this isn't that our deepest fear is that we're powerful beyond measure and mm -hmm. shame in my life as i've seen it was a dimmer on my light mm. it was a survival tactic and even i really let's get real on brown table i struggle with deception and lying mm. i wouldn't I, I don't think i ever got to the pathological liar stage because that's really intense and i don't know what that means but <laughs> yeah. i would i would uh, there would be times where i would lie reflexively mm -hmm. but out of survival because mm -hmm. or just be deceptive and mm -hmm. not be honest mm -hmm. and shame can whisper to you and tell you you have to dim yourself in order to pass through mm -hmm. in order to, to survive and make it through this process or this context and now it's actually a really painful process, but now I'm really offending people because I'm being honest as fuck, mm -hmm. and I'm t and I'm giving myself permission to take up space. Yeah. Shame will whisper to you and say you need to shrink as much as possible mm -hmm. and don't rattle the cage because you're because truth can can be disruptive. And so as a queer non Christian, even just I posted I would have never done this two years ago <laughs> ever. But um, I just posted a video, la I think yesterday, where I said, on, as I was talking on the video, that I'm a non-Christian. Mm. But even that, 
before I talked about anxiousness out in Columbus mm-hmm. on social media. I would never post things about my honesty on Facebook mm-hmm. because my mother would text me and be mm-hmm. like, what about the children at the church? Would they follow you X, Y, and Z? And there would be a big mm-hmm. shame. Me? But what about me? <laughs> there would be this shame attached to it. So let's do a pro tip really quickly. Um, again, I went to a university that was Christian by title. And so I I did fall into a very charismatic community and a lot of people did believe themselves to be prophets or to be prophetic. However you feel about that, whatever, whatever, whatever. I'm I'm always a person that I want to go into any culture or community And take the meat, spit out the bones. You know, you you take what might be useful or healing, cathartic, um, um, beneficial for you. And then you, you don't have to adopt everything, right? So there's a woman in my life who would pray. I, I went to actually visit the family because I'm friends with the daughter. So we visited the family um, in New York one time. And I didn't want to say New York because now the person, if she hears this, going to know I'm talking about her. <laughs> but shout out to you. Um, the mother would pray over us and would rebuke things. And I'm all about visualization. So I did this the other day. Um, I read a text message that was incredibly hurtful. Somebody sent me a text because we were having a hard conversation. Mm -hmm. And he said things to me about who I am that I don't believe and things that Mm. were truly hurtful about things that I'm trying to pursue in my art right now. So I sat down in my room. I read the text message a few times, and the reason why I say a few times is because anytime I tried to defend what he was saying, and I would start speaking out loud, well, oh, well, he got me fucked up because X, Y, and Z, I'd be like, nope, start over. Yeah. And I would only I would only be able to stop reading it once I read it all the way through without interjecting. Mm. And so I read his words about me all the way through, internalized them, and I, I, did, I practiced breathing exercises mm-hmm. too. So I would read them out loud, and if something got a little heavy, I'd be like, okay, who breathe. Okay, keep going. Then I opened my windows and I began to move my hands in a way like I was like sweeping. Mm -hmm. So I would like sweep off my arms, sweep off my legs. I went into my hampers, sweeping. I swept off my walls. I swept off my mirrors. I swept Mm -hmm. off. I went in my book bag, swept off, swept off my laptop and pushed everything. I did it with my hands Mm -hmm. so it could be visual. So my body kinetically could connect with it. Mm -hmm. And this was, it was like a physical rebuke. Mm -hmm. I was... Picking up all the words. Words are powerful. Picked up all the words and pushed them out the window. Pushed them out the window. I would Mm. gather, gather, push them out the window. And I kept just pushing things out the window. And then I closed the window. And I'm like, I'm good. It's off of me now. Mm. So that may be dramatic for you. That's kind of... When I say I'm an atheist, that's how spiritual I am. Mm. You know, that that's kind of my life now. Because I'm an atheist, I guess. But I also do spiritual practices. And for me... Doing things physically, kinetically with your body sometimes is a way to remind your body and not just your cognitive mind that you mean business. Mm -hmm. So his words, I was physically imagining the words being on me Mm -hmm. and picking them up. And and listen, if you suffer through shame or or people's words coming for your power, I would say do some crazy shit. I do crazy shit all the time, Mm -hmm. but I feel like I'm the healthiest person I've ever been. (laughs) So if someone says something crazy to me that I would dare believe in, open up them fucking windows and pick that shit off your clothes (laughs) and push that shit out the window and close your windows and say, that's not me. Yeah. Pro tip, that's, I mean, it helped me. So, I mean, maybe that would help somebody else. 
Yeah. It is new. I'm you know. probably gonna try it. Just to no, see. and it's actually it and it and it might make you incredibly emotional because it was it was incredibly emotional. Yeah, process. that's actually kind of about because you can do that with your parents, things they've said about you, things that other people have said about you, things that you believe about yourself. Say it's it's all about the kinetic. Say things that you believe about yourself out loud. I'm not worth love. I'm ugly. I'm this, I'm that. And then you pick those words off the table, you grab that stuff up, gather it up, and push that bullshit out the window. Yeah. That's a, that's embodiment. Come come on. I, I dare you. I dare y'all to, <laughs> to try that. Though. I dare you. And it, it can be something small or large. I'm incapable of learning new things now that I dropped out of college. I, I feel like I'm mm. the smartest and most resourceful person I've ever been now but I had to get past everyone telling me what the fuck's wrong with you why'd you drop out of college yeah, yeah that's and now I'm I'm using a lot of the things that I learned in college more so than a lot of people that I that I graduated yeah. with yeah but I had to get rid of those lies first to know that I was even capable of doing it mm-hmm. you know so that's that's phys- if you want to ever physically rebuke something that's I mean that's how I did it and then really quickly Let's talk about the Nashville statement. 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 This is, is the, the Brown, Brown Table. Table. Because hell sounds like a terrible ass place. Yeah, no, the fuck I don't want to go to hell, but. Yes, yes, she did. You can't be a good Christian. You gonna tell me I don't exist, motherfucker? <laughs> yeah. How like... you gonna tell me I don't exist? Really quickly, because mm-hmm. we're kind of in that intersection of religion and shame right now. Mm-hmm. So, if you don't want to know what it is, do you have you ever heard of the Nashville statement? Never. Beautiful. Perfect. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Well, I'll start with an analogy. Um, the Black Lives Matter movement analogy, and we talked about this before, mm-hmm. where. You have a bunch of people screaming and shouting Black Lives Matter movement or Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter. But if there are black people that are queer, there are black people that are handicapped, there are black people that are non-Christian, there are black people that are Christian, there are black people that are Muslim, there are black people that are... There's a whole spectrum of black Mm -hmm. people. So if you dare fix your mouth to say black... If you dare fix your mouth to say Black Lives Matter and you're not challenging and and, and honing and Mm -hmm. refining your worldview to include all kinds of black people, Mm -hmm. you're a liar, first of all. And I feel that way about queer people. So Mm -hmm. how how dare I ever as a gay man say queer lives matter and not research and learn about and befriend transgender individuals? I'm not transgender and I don't understand a lot about that way of being. Mm. So... I am compelled to search after mm-hmm. a worldview that that encompasses those people who live mm-hmm. as transgender individuals because those are my queer family. Mm-hmm. Lord have mercy, someone just tried to call me. So, um, so a lot of people have actually come from my neck because now that I'm a non-Christian, I speak out probably even more about religious spaces. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, Avery, you're not even a Christian anymore, so why do you give a fuck? Yeah. I have so many queer brothers and sisters that are devout Christians Mm. and that are still eating off the crumbs off the floor at at the table of of Christian communion. So 
The Nashville statement is this is this statement of Are you um, saying Nashville? Nashville, like t- Nashville, Tennessee. Okay. Yeah, That's yeah. What I said. Okay. So Nashville statement, it was created in August of 2017, and it was this annual conference of the ethics of religious liberty. The F- it was the conference of the ethics and I won't even say fuck that. Okay, anyway. The <laughs> conference was held in Nashville, Tennessee. That's why it's called the Nashville Statement. Mm-hmm. And it was authored, it was penned by the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. So the Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, and actually on their website, their little tagline is they are a coalition on biblical sexuality. So it is it looks like a constitution, honestly. So they're talking about things that they believe and things that they don't believe. It's 14 articles, 14 statements about right-standing relationships and right-standing gender. Here's why it's important. Before, when, when fundamentalist Bible believers would talk about the queer movement, they would only come at relationships. Oh, well, marriage is this. Marriage can't be that. But now, in, in 2018, they're also coming for gender. And they're saying... It's, it's not right standing before God to identify as this, that, and that. You can only identify as this when it comes to gender. Mm-hmm. So, let me talk to y'all about why it's important. And I actually am going to read off a bunch of names and their claim to fame. There were over 150 evangelical leaders in America that signed the Nashville Statement that basically is attempting to erase the queer Christian experience. I have so many queer brothers and sisters that are Christian Mm -hmm. who this affects directly. And in America, like I said, the whole fucking country is is undergirded by Christian principles. Mm -hmm. So you even have politicians that are allowed to back christian beliefs mm. or religious beliefs as long as they're christian like we couldn't have a president ever be muslim because we would all be scared of that but yeah. if they if they say things about god like trump always mm. talks about god and he's actually trying to undo the separation of church and state so that's why this is important because if you have these white evangelical leaders trying to erase the transgender experience that are mm. also in all of these other disciplines, like Cedarville University, for example, if they believe things that are harmful to queer people, they're not just pastors and missionaries that go to Cedarville. Right. They have a great engineering and nursing program. So it might be your motherfucking doctor one day that got this kind of teaching. So people who signed the Nashville Statement, John Piper, theologian, Rosaria Butterfield, who identifies herself as a former lesbian, Francis Chan, preacher and author. These people, I have books of John Piper and Francis Chan. They're amazing authors. James Dobson, founder of Focus on the Family. Focus on the Family is this institution in America that that puts together this concept of the nuclear family, which basically means children are only most actualized and most healthy and safest in a family with a mother and a father. So that actually comes for Black Madonna being a single mother. Mm-hmm. So that comes for that that family structure too. Um, let's see, who else? Steve Gaines, president of Southern Baptist Convention. Jeff Lorg, president of Gateway Seminary. Richard Lamb, president of Southern Evangelical Seminary. Let me tell y'all about white people. No shade. Pe- white people know how to create networks. That's why this is important too. All of these people are in charge of mega churches. And, and actual doctoral programs mm. in universities around the country. So they have networks that affect, I mean, they affect all of us. So right. even if you are a secular person, you still have to know what's going on in the religious world because those are 
influences and energies that inform legislation, inform our politicians, mm-hmm. inform you can't you can't find usually a non-Christian that's that's a, a political pundit on all these on these networks, CNN, all of that. A lot of those people are Christian, which isn't bad, but what if these these are the things that they believe? Right. Albert Moeller, president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and here's where it gets a little heated. Paige motherfucking Patterson, president of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, who was actually the head trustee of Cedarville University, my alma mater. Mm. Um, and also Thomas fucking White, current president of Cedarville University. He is actually one of the people that is the reason why I'm banned from the university now because I started a support group for gay students off campus. They found out I was a part of it and then they banned me from the campus. I'm not allowed to go on the campus anymore. So that this these are the people that these this is the kind of agency that these motherfuckers have. Tony Perkins, president of Family Research Council. All right, so I'm done giving names. This is why it's important to know your fucking self because if you don't know who the fuck you are, someone in power will tell you who you are. I have friends that are my age who will come to me and this is why I said I got into a Facebook argument. Mm-hmm. Folks have come to me and told me and this is where a lot of my shame is. I have motherfuckers looking me in my face and telling me, you can't be a gay Christian. When I was a gay Christian. At the time when I was a Christian and I was gay, they said, you can't be a gay Christian. You gonna tell me I don't exist, motherfucker? <laughs> yeah. How like... you gonna tell me I don't exist? And these people are actually putting together religious rhetoric. They're, they're misusing statistical data and pulling it out of the context of the research uh, the research journals that they were they, they were supposed to stay in context of. We don't get a T-test or a P-test or any kind of how, how, to what degree can this be used, can these statistics be used for the greater public. They don't give you all that background information. They just tell you that transgender people are more likely to commit suicide. That's what he did in that chapel message I was talking about. This guy just um, cre- wrote a book when Harry became Sally and he spoke in chapel Thursday and Friday of last week. And he's giving, I hear him in, in his chapel message, give statistics about transgender people without giving any kind of research context. He's just telling a, a, an amphitheater of 3,000 Christian students that transgender people are more likely to commit suicide. And then he goes on to say and try to support and prove that transgenderism is a sickness. So you see how faulty causalities mm-hmm. can literally indoctrinate some of the motherfuckers that are going to be your church leaders in the next generation. That's why this is a problem. So we're talking about shame and we're talking about religion and the intersection. And this, for me, has so much to do with it. I wanted you to hear the names of all of these people and their claim to fame to know that your next generation of churchgoers are going to have this bullshit in their ears. So mm. we need to be on guard. And, I'm, and here's the thing. I Even as a joke on my Facebook, I said... I'm finally comfortable with being an angry minority. And what I mean by that, and you mm-hmm. get this to being a black woman, mm-hmm. sometimes we have to be more docile as black mm-hmm. people just so we can avoid the stereotypes people yeah. throw at us. I'll speak for myself. I'm a, I'm a be that cunt. I'm a be that <laughs> bitch. And I'm going to, I hope I can hold myself accountable to this. As long as I have breath in my lungs, I want to fight for... For the equality of the motherfuckers that come behind me. I even said to people, the reason why I love Brown Table is because what if a queer Christian little brown boy or girl stumbles across Brown Table 
and and we're telling those people that they exist and they have rights to, right. to take up space and to occupy space. That is the legacy I want to leave behind. So I'm going to be a fucking angry minority because I'm over it. <laughs> so this is my fuck you. This just randomly turned into a fuck you segment. <laughs> fuck you, Nashville statement. Not only is it destructive, is it violent, and is it it's teaching Christians. Because there's even an article that says that they suggest that Christians that are not queer should disassociate from queer individuals. Now they're even suggesting that queer people and Christians shouldn't even be in community with each other, which is literally othering and anti-shalom, anti-flourishing, anti-communal ecstasy. Mm-hmm. Which, if anything, if you want, if, if sin does exist and if sin is a thing, I, th- I think that's as violent as you can get. So... I'm jumping off my soapbox, and I did want to give you all those names just as evidence that there are people with global platforms that believe that transgender identity, gay identity, lesbian identity, bisexual identity, pansexual identities are sicknesses, which modern psychology would say otherwise, but I guess fuck modern psychology, right? <laughs> so It's just not loving. It's not, it's not loving, and it's not shalom. It's not goodness. It's not flourishing. So, please be on guard. One thing that I love, one of our professor, not, I keep saying professor, one of our teachers at our high school said, when, especially when we watch film, is that everything has a worldview. So, don't just digest information haphazardly. You have to right. know, you have to know what the heart of the message that you're being told is. So, exactly. I'll jump off of that. Sorry if you were annoyed by that. But, <laughs> the Nashville statement is foul. Go read it. And if anyone, and I love debating theology, I know I'm wrong about a lot of things, and I know I don't keep up on researching and studying the Bible enough to stay on my theological edge. So I, I, I'm sure I've said things that are probably a little off base. As long as you're respectful, mm-hmm. hit me up. Yeah. And we, and we already gave you our social media um, handle, so... If you do, if you do want to get more into just like theological debate for the fun of it, because I love the debate, I think it's fun, I think it's healthy. Hit us, hit me up, because I would, mm. I would love that. Yeah. Um, and you can hear more of why, because I even researched the Nashville statement, compared it to scripture, and there's even certain articles within the Nashville statement that I believe disprove the Nashville statement based on certain scriptures, mm. which I'm not going to get into that with the Brown table. But if you are curious about, read Nashville statement, just Google it and you'll find it. If you are curious as to why I believe it's not just wrong, but it's violent, then hit my bitch ass up. Yeah. Hit, hit us both up. DM us at Brown table pod on Instagram and Twitter. But yeah, like John Piper, he's, he's up there with John Maxwell. Like, I don't know any of these people. Oh, really? I am so sorry. No, no, no. It's okay. No, you're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, Francis Chubb, Crazy Love. Francis yeah, yeah, Chan. Yeah. That's Francis Chan. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And I never, I think we were supposed to read that book in high school. And mm-hmm. I was like, this is about white people. I'm not reading this. Speak it. But I don't even know if they were white, but I just felt like. Francis Chan isn't white, but he speaks to the greater yeah. white evangelical community. So, but. So, yeah. So, fuck you, Nashville Statement. I'm sorry that took so long. No. Let it happen. Let it out. But so. Yeah. I have a fuck you. Um, I have a yet. I, I want to make this a segment so we say something positive and say something negative. Mm-hmm. So I'm proposing that we do a yes God. Yes, yes God. So my yes God is 
two. I have two of them. So the first one is yes. the Janelle Monet make mm. make me feel uh, or make you feel music video with her and Tessa Thompson and some other nigga I don't know. <laughs> um, but done. she basically like because we've all wondered about Janelle like is she bi is she a lesbian is right. she straight what is it and um. In the video, it was just kind of like, she was like, yeah, I'm yeah, I'm bi, I'm here. And it was just refreshing because it was just like a big kind of fuck you to people who like care in a negative way what she's doing with her. Say that. Spree, her free, her uh, free time. Um, the other one is, so a couple of weeks ago now, I went to uh, the Demi Lovato concert. Yeah, And that... Listen, Demetria is too thick. I forgot she had a black name. And I am too here for it. Like, I was like, oh my God, Demi, you are so fucking thick. Like, it was such a surprise. Yeah. But it was because I know, like, where she's at in her life and how much shame she felt for her body and all the things that she had to go through. Body has been huge for her, yeah. Yeah, and then for her to come out looking thick and healthy and... Glowing. loving it yes. like and she just looked like she loved who she is and so i was good for her i said i say yes god yes god so um maybe in future segments we end with a positive but whatever yeah. <laughs> uh, we're shame we knew it was gonna be a little so i have two fuck yous the first um fuck you or we can call this no ma'am whatever the listeners want the first one is apparently Chris Brown play chokes his female friends, mm-hmm. and I've seen the f- pictures, and they don't—they don't look like they're playing. It looks like her friend is trying to beat him off of her. They look scared. They look scared, and but the thing to me is, this is why he gets a fuck you from me. Is like, no fucking better. Like if y'all, if that's how y'all play a fight. Don't do that in public, though, where people can see, because we've already seen what you do to women. And so I don't yeah. think you should ever play choke play choke a woman like that anyway. uh, in public. That's something that you do while y'all fucking, if that's what you into. Exactly. You don't yeah. need to show people that, and you don't need to be perpetuating the fact that that's cool for you to do. It's cool for you to play choke somebody where you've already had a history of violence towards women. That I saw that today, and I said, this gives... No. Fuck all that. Another fuck you, and this ties actually into shame, is... Um... Why her niggas not shit? That's I mean, <laughs> so. But here's why, um, and I'm not, and I mean that in like you know when you a nigga and when you're just a good black man, like you know, you know the difference. But Come on. so I was in a place in a uh, bar, and I was with a female friend of mine. We were just kicking it, drinking. Like I wasn't really done up just because. I come from work and I don't really give a shit what people think of me at work. Like, come on. I try to be like in the background as much as I can at work because I already stand out. I've said this before. And she was done up. Um, there's no problem with that. These two guys walk and sit to the bar next, uh, sit at the bar next to us, and they both spoke to her, but ignored me. Like. On several occasions. Jesus. They invited her to a party. Like, 
Like, they had a whole ass conversations with her. Lord. And I'm sitting looking at them as well. Like, it's cool if you speak to me because I'm, I exist. Um, but that was a shame point for me because it was Ooh. like, Ooh, Sydney, you should feel ashamed by the way you look because some niggas you definitely don't want can't even speak to you Jesus. because of how ugly you are to them. They can't even speak. They can't even fix their mouths to say, hi, my name is who the fuck cares. So that got a hearty fuck you when I realized like why I was like feeling like, oh, it's because I'm ashamed the fact that they think I'm so ugly. They can't even speak. But the second part of that is Mm. that these motherfuckers, I'm going to change the name. But one of them said, oh, yeah, you know, I got Well, they don't know me. Um, yeah, you know, I got me and Shauna a, uh, a gym membership. I'm trying to get her thin, bro. I'm trying to get her thin, bro. Wait, what the fuck? What the fuck? I said, you know what? Fuck that. I would be, like, they already told me what kind of people they were by the fact that they wouldn't speak to me, but the fact that they are... In a romantic situation with someone, and they're out telling their friends that the he needs to get her to be thin. Come on. Like, can you imagine, like, the pressures that women, like... It's survival Women have to probably... I I imagine that women and uh, people of color and LGBTQ carry a lot of shame but i will honestly say that probably women of color carry the most because we're taught to we're taught you should be ashamed of this you should be ashamed if you're if you're not thin you should be ashamed if your hair is not straight you should be ashamed if your hair is not long you should be ashamed if you're not light-skinned you should be ashamed of if if you're not the most pleasing thing and you know all that fuck Fuck all of that. Fuck fuck people who think that way. Fuck you guys who are listening to this and think that way. Change who you are. Like, and, I have a, and I actually have uh, two people that I actually don't mind and I actually am fans of in their own right. Um, Tamar Braxton yeah. and Steve Harvey. Interesting. Need a little, a little fuck you moment. Especially Steve Harvey. I really um, respect <laughs> What he does, Steve Harvey's all about this money. He don't really give a shit. He doesn't. <laughs> but here's the thing: um, on Steve Harvey's talk show, because you know Tamar Braxton just got a divorce. Mm-hmm. Not to say that's why she shaved her hair, but she did the big chop, the biggest chop. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's saw. like down, down, down. Like you can see her scalp. <laughs> yeah, she looks amazing. I, I think, yeah, I think she too. looks fabulous. But um, she was saying, oh yeah, girls out there. My man liked fair skin. This is a black, Jesus Christ. This is a black woman with a huge national platform. She's like, on on his talk show, and he co-signs it at the end. He's like, he's like, yeah, men are visual creatures. She's like, oh yeah, my man, who is a black man, preferred prefers fair skin women and blonde hair women. So I got a whole closet of blonde wigs. Ladies, Oh, you better know I had to change it up. Um, You got to do what you got to do for your man. So, oh, I got all kinds. And she would tell 
She would tongue pop. Oh, yeah, I got all kinds of blonde wigs. Oh, yeah, my man likes fair-skinned women and blonde wigs, so you better know I had a whole collection of blonde wigs, and I got to be what my man needs. Ladies, you got to be what your man needs. You got to be what your man desires. You got to be the object of your man's desire. And I said, you had such an opportunity. Oh, my God. I was appalled. And, and it's a black, it was a, it was a black man's talk show and had a fa- a famous black man's talk show with a famous black woman as a, as a, as a feature. And y'all missed a whole opportunity to heal black women in that moment. But, but what the <laughs> fuck is wrong with you? Here's the thing, uh, Uh-oh. Steve Harvey, like I chuckle at his stuff, but I don't even know why motherfuckers ever took advice from Steve Harvey. Like that whole thing, like a man bullshit, because um he cheated on his first wife so why the fuck do we care what he has to say about love i'm sure he's cheating on the wife he got now who gives a fuck like but that's disgusting that he had the platform to be like yeah you know what women you should change exactly who you are to please a man no actually fuck that and there was even this hint and there was a suggestion during it that like she had she was able to liberate herself and do the big chop because she just got a divorce and she's single now and so she so doesn't have too, like, to. Worry she doesn't about have them. to keep. She doesn't have to keep up some some facade or some visual allurement for a husband anymore. That's exhausting. Like girl. Yeah. Ew. I'm so. actually disgusted by that conversation they had. So. Yeah. So thank you for tuning in to the Brown Table. Today's... And actually, really quickly, Sydney, okay. <laughs> I'll ask you because we did. We talked. Thank you for tuning in this episode. We talked about a lot of stuff. We talked yeah. about hell. We talked about shame. We talked about religion. We talked mm-hmm. about religious dogma. Let's end with something encouraging. So let me ask you, what will you take away and what do you hope people will take away from this episode? Um, Just so we don't end it heavy, yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, from this episode, what I'll take away is um, owning and confessing shame and knowing that my relationship with God is my relationship with mm. God. And that's what I'm taking away from this. That's good. And for me, shout out to Laverne Cox. And I think actually the man that um, from the Heritage Project that wrote the book when Harry became Sally, I read, I was reading a review on the book and apparently he comes for Laverne Cox and mm. actually mentions Laverne Cox by name. Shout out to Laverne Cox, transgender woman and, act- and also a queer activist and mm-hmm. an amazing actress and, and public speaker. She said, I don't prefer to be considered a role model. I prefer to be considered a possibility model. I want mm. people to see me and who I am and what I'm doing and know that some something like someone like me with what I'm doing is possible. Mm. And that's and I resonate with that so much, especially I feel like sometimes being a super minority now because I'm not just queer. I'm just not. I'm just not. I'm not only queer and non-Christian. Jesus, can I talk? <laughs> I'm not only queer and non-Christian. I'm also ap- unapologetic about it now. Mm-hmm. And so I know I do struggle with worrying about what my friendships and what my mm-hmm. relationships will look like now. But if nothing else. If I lose friends, if I lose job opportunities, if I lose X, Y, and Z, but I let somebody else coming up behind me know that it's possible to love yourself with mm-hmm. all of your identities, then bitch, I'm good. Right. So if you're mm. confused about what you're going through, if you're confused about your God concept, your your sexual orientation concept, your the color of your skin and the concept of your mm. ethnicity, going through that process of self-love... And being open about it 
makes you a possibility model. And I think especially in this climate, it's something that's so beautiful mm-hmm. to assume that position of being a possibility model mm-hmm. for the people coming up behind you. Mm-hmm. So... And thank you for tuning in to the Brown Table. Today, our sponsors are not Duolingo. I love Duolingo. I've been learning Spanish. Please download the app. It's for free. They are not our sponsor. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>